in the update I alluded to, um, we have been praying uh, for about the last four months that God would provide a facility for us to worship in um, when we launch the church. We're launching in spring of uh, 2023, um, and we've had two vision meetings uh, to cast vision for the church and invite people to join us for Mercy Hill Chapel. And both of those vision meetings took place in a building called uh, the Irvington Event Center. That's like dead in our community context that we want to launch Mercy Hill Chapel. And both vision meetings, people would ask, hey, where will the church launch? And my answer is always, well, if Jesus tells you, tell me, because I don't know yet. Um, But I want it to be within one mile radius of where we're standing. Geographically, it is strategic for taking that community for the gospel. Um, and last week we signed papers with the Irvington Event Center to launch our church in the very space that we were having our vision meetings and that we were praying for. So we're praising God for that. Like, um, that was huge for us. Um, yeah, I'll take that. I mean, God's good for that. You can give him an amen. Um, and uh, uh, more exciting than that, uh, we left here in January. We had our first vision meeting in May, and since... May, we have seen four people in our community put their faith in Christ. Um, That's more exciting than a building. That's God showing up and transforming lives. And so we're just so excited that God is on the move drawing people to himself. And and that's about where we're at now. So we're still looking to target launch uh, February of 23 or spring of 23 in that area. Well, very good. Thank you uh, for giving that update. We'll pray for uh, Brad and Jen, their family, after the service or at the end of the service. But let me pray now as Brad brings a word. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you uh, for your word of truth. Thank you that we can trust you, that you have proven yourself faithful over and over again. Lord, I pray uh, for Brad that he would be bold this morning that you would give him the words to say. Lord, uh, give him clarity of thought. And may your spirit move among us as hearers, Lord, not just to be hearers, but Lord, help us to hear what is being said. You're an amazing God that you can speak to each one of us in a way that connects, in a way that uh, sheds light on what we need to do to do and what we need to believe and how we need to trust you more. So we thank you for that and uh, pray this morning that your spirit would just move in a powerful way in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again um, for having me here. If you guys would, would you open your Bibles to uh, Colossians and we're going to be in chapter four in Colossians. Um, And uh, so I preparing for today, I was kind of tracking along with where you guys have all been at in Scripture, and it looks like Ben just finished Acts last week. Is that right? Last week was Ben's... Okay, great. Um, And uh, uh, Ben, preaching through Acts, I love that he brought it full circle. Um, Acts starts with the gospel will go to the ends of the earth, and by the end of Acts, you see the gospel going to the ends of the earth, and I love his challenge of... Now, it can't stop with us. Um, The gospel must go forward from us and continue to take ground for the kingdom of God. I love that charge. Um, And it made me think as I was uh, uh, listening to his message uh, in preparation for today. uh, It was about a year and a half ago. Um, Ben and I were standing right back here by the sound booth. uh, And I, I am a shorter, more 
stoutly version of Ben. Uh, glasses and the bald head. And Hudson walks right up and he looks at Ben and he looks at me and he goes, Dad, when you grow up, are you going to look like Ben? <laughs> like, uh, today you guys get Ben 2.0 because I want to... I want to capitalize on what Ben preached to you last week and carry forward that theme of don't let the gospel stop with you. The gospel still needs to go to the ends of the earth. Um, And uh, it also had me thinking in preparation for this message, a week and a half ago, any of you in here who know me, like you know I'm a a coffee buff. Um, Where are my coffee lovers? Any coffee lovers here? Okay. Like, I had a roasting business out in California. I roasted coffee, and I sold it locally, and um, that's the best way to get good coffee is to roast your own. It doesn't get fresher than that. But I love coffee. And so, uh, like, two weeks ago, I got really excited. I ordered a new drip coffee maker, um, and it was approved by the Specialty Coffee Association of America. They put their, like, that's like, they're the jam. Like, if you want somebody approving your drip maker, you want it to be the SCAA. And so I get this thing, it's like an Amazon buy, it's like one day shipping. So I get this thing in, and I could have gotten in at midnight, and I would have set this coffee maker up and brewed a pot. Like, I I was just that excited for my coffee. So it comes in, the package gets dropped off, delivered, I open it, unpackage it, and I set it up, and I fill it, and I'm like, man, I'm about to the first brew, right? And I push the go button and nothing. (laughs) Wait a minute here. So I I try it again and I push the brew button and nothing. And then it beeps and then it flashes an error message on the screen. No. (laughs) Like now I have no coffee and no way to make my coffee because the drip maker doesn't work. Um, And so essentially I looked up the error code and the coffee maker is dead. Um, so I got to send it back. But again, Amazon, right? Like you could, you could return your grandma to Amazon. Like they'll take anything back. And so uh, I, I go onto Amazon and I click and I say, you know what? UPS, pick the package up on my door. Gas is 30 bucks a gallon. I'm not trying to spend that gas to drive to UPS and drop it off, right? Like you can pick up the dead coffee maker. So I set the package outside my door uh, and uh, I take off to run some errands. And this was the next day. Uh, and I come back later, and I kid you not, the UPS guy shows up, and he sticks the label to my door handle that he was supposed to put on the box, which is two feet above the box he was supposed to take. And he left a note, sorry we missed you, you can bring your package to us. <laughs> I'm thinking, you got one job, man, like, you got one job, pick the coffee maker up, like, your whole thing is packages. Pick the coffee maker up. But that had me thinking, this is about what Paul is getting ready to say to us. You got one job. You got one job. Jesus redeemed you by grace through faith, but then you've got one job. To pray for and participate in the advancement of the gospel. It's our one job. And I'm, I'm going I'm to ask, nobody raise your hands. Ben issued the call last week. Did you guys do it? Did you share the gospel? Or did it stop with you on Sunday? Because we got one job. And that's what we're going to see from Paul in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 2. Would you read with me? Paul says this. 
continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Would you pray with me before we get into God's word? God, thank you that we have your perfect, inerrant word to study this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us abandoned after Christ died for us, but you gave us your word, Lord, that we might know the truth about Jesus and how to live obediently as followers of Jesus. God, I pray that your word today would permeate our our minds, that we would understand it, that it would permeate our hearts, that we would internalize it, and that it would permeate our very actions and our hands and our feet, and that we, Lord, wouldn't stop with just thinking good things about your word, but that we would be about doing your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get into the word, again, the main idea that Paul wants to communicate to us in this short passage is that we must pray for, and participate in the advancement of the gospel. That's our one job as believers. When Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, what he's saying is, follow me and you're going to do something. Follow me because we've got work to do. Follow me because there's a mission involved. And that's to pray for and participate in the advancement of the gospel. And that's what Paul shows us throughout this passage. Look with me at verse 2. The first thing Paul says, just in verse 2, He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The first thing Paul charges the the Colossian believers with, and therefore you and I, is to continue in prayer. And he, he says three things about this continual prayer. Let it be steadfast, continual and steadfast, be watchful, and it should be thankful. And so I want to look a little bit at like these three things. Like he says, pray continually. Pray steadfastly. Steadfastly means praying without undulating. Praying consistently, not swerving, not uh, uh, waving off to the side, but being constant in prayer. And if there's one thing most Christians are bad at, I'll raise my hand to it sometimes, it's being continual in prayer. Amen? Like, it's easy to get into your day and jump up, think about the million things that you have to do, and what do we skip when we have days like that? We skip prayer and we skip our time in Scripture. Those are the first things to go out the window, and maybe it's a, oh, Lord, I'm late, thanks, uh, I'm on my way. Um, but Paul is calling us to be people of continual prayer. And why? Why does Paul hammer on prayer? He, he doesn't just talk about prayer in this passage. Prayer is a main theme of much of what Paul writes in the New Testament. And why? It's because Jesus has called ordinary people to live in an extraordinary way. You and I are ordinary people with an extraordinary mission that we cannot accomplish on our own. And so we should pray. We should pray because when we pray, prayer is our lifeline. It is our connection to God in heaven who will empower our speech, who will empower our actions, who will be faithful if we are faithful. He's faithful even when we're not faithful. He'll be faithful to show up in a mighty way and work through you to do things you couldn't do on your own. Paul says pray. Pray because we're ordinary 
But God's got something extraordinary he's calling us to do. When I think about this, pray continually. Um, I've been a paramedic for 19 years, so I think of everything in medical terms. Um, and it had me thinking about the way our, our bodies are made. Um, all the cells of your body need two things to produce energy, two primary things. They need oxygen and they need sugar. If they have those two things plus a couple of little extras, they can make energy and then your cells function. And you want the cells of your liver to function and you want the cells of your kidneys to function, um, so they need oxygen and they need sugar. And your cells are wired, they're built in such a way they can actually store little bits of sugar in them. That way if there's, there's a hiccup in the transport chain that they don't stop functioning, they can still make energy and do their job because they've got a little storehouse of sugar as a backup. Um, and so, uh, but the cells of your brain are different. Your, your brain cells do not store sugar. They don't have the capacity. So if there is a blip, if there is a hiccup, if there is a stop in the transport of sugar to your brain, your brain cells stop functioning. If you know somebody who's diabetic, uh, who has an insulin problem, this is usually seen as they, their speech starts to slur or they start to stutter and stumble or they get woozy and dizzy and eventually comatose. It's because their brain doesn't have sugar to do its job, sugar to produce energy, because it doesn't store any like the rest of the body. That's like us in prayer. We don't store up prayers. We don't store up these things. We need a continual pipeline to the goodness and the might and the strength of God, and that's prayer. We need continual access, because if we don't, we become lethargic Christians. We become ineffective Christians, nearly comatose in our obedience and our walk because it's by his power and his might that we accomplish the extraordinary task that he's called us to do. And we can't settle for a normative, adjusted state of infirmity. As believers, we can't do it because we've been called to something extraordinary. See, the reality is that in my greatest moments, I am nothing if not wholly dependent on God. Amen? Anybody else identify with that, just me in the room? <laughs> we are nothing if not wholly dependent on God. But here's the beauty of prayer. God listens. God listens. We don't pray into a vacuum. We don't pray into a void. We don't pray into nothingness. We pray to the God of heaven and earth who created everything that exists, who created every cell of your body, who created every word you will utter, and that God listens. Listen to what C.H. Spurgeon remarks about this. Spurgeon says, it is possible for God to bid the sun to stand still and the moon to stay her monthly march. It is possible for him to bid the waves to freeze in the sea. It is possible for him to quench the light of the stars in eternal darkness. But it is not possible for him to refuse to hear prayer, which is based upon his promise and offered in faith. God can reverse nature, but he can't reverse his own nature. See, we should be a people of prayer because we have a God who listens. 
We have a God who responds. He doesn't just hear and shove it off to the side. We have a God who responds. Amen? Amen. God responds to our prayers. We should offer everything up to God. But especially if we're going to live on mission with Jesus to the extraordinary call he's called us to. So we should be people of continual prayer. Paul also says this thing. He says, be watchful in prayer. And if you were to look up what in the world does Paul mean uh, when he says be watchful in prayer, you're going to get about 90 different answers uh, on Google. Um, all the theologians uh, agree that he didn't define it well. Uh, but what we see earlier in Colossians, if we look at the context in which he wrote that in, um, there was an assault on the faith of the believers happening in Colossae. There were people trying to pervert their faith. There were people trying to upend the purity and the truth and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says, be watchful, what he's saying is guard yourself and your understanding of the truth. If we go outside Colossians, we look at Jesus. What did Jesus say to uh, Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, keep alert and pray. So did you not fall into temptation, right? Jesus warned his followers to guard themselves in prayer. We see Peter picks up this idea. When Peter, you may remember this verse, he says, Our enemy prowls around like a, what? Like a roaring lion seeking someone who he may devour. Satan is on mission too. Satan is on mission to oppose God, to pervert your faith, and to stop the gospel from going forward. And he prowls around like a roaring lion. Have you ever seen uh, Discovery Channel series? Like, sometimes they'll show a series on, like, the gazelles, and another time, like, a series on the lions. And, and when it's the gazelles, you're, like, rooting for the gazelle. Like, get away, go, run, right? But when it's the lion, you're like, get him, get him. But have you ever watched a lion take down its prey? What they do is they, they separate one gazelle or one of their prey from the herd. They find the weak one. And they go and they pounce and they take it down and devour it, right? They look for the prey that is separated from its source of strength because the herd is its source of strength. <laughs> Satan is looking for people separated from the power of God that he might devour. He would love nothing more than to devour your faith and to stop the purity of the truth from going forward in your own life. Pray and be watchful in your prayer. Pray the truths of Scripture regularly to yourself. Pray Scripture back to God. Let Scripture season your prayers. God has spoken to us in prayer, or in, in His Word, and if prayer is simply a line of communication, why don't we start by responding to what God has already said? When you pray, do you have a Bible next to you open? When you pray, are you praying through the truths that God has already spoken? pronouncing his grace and his glory and the majesty of Jesus, pronouncing that you are nothing if not something in Christ? Do you pray truth to guard yourself? See, that's what Paul is telling us. Be watchful in your prayer. Pray the truths of Scripture. Pray the gospel back to God. 
That's going to guard you. And thirdly, we see Paul says in verse 2, we should pray with thanksgiving. We are an undeserved people that have benefited from an immense grace we never deserved. Does anybody say amen to that? We are an undeserving people that did not deserve the free gift of grace that God gave us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we more than any people should be a people of thanksgiving. Let me ask you, are your prayers marked with an abundance of thanksgiving for the blessings God has already poured out in your life? Are you thankful like, Lord, thank you that you have provided today. God, there's struggles, there's struggles on the forefront. Lord, life's not easy, right? I'm not saying we don't acknowledge the difficult in our prayers, but we acknowledge the difficult in the midst of a prayer of thanksgiving. God, but I know your character, I know your steadfastness, and I am thankful because you have redeemed even me. God, if you are for me, who can be against me? Are we thankful in our prayers? You see, because thankfulness is the sea in which the ship of prayer sets sail. Should be. So let me ask you, do you pray continually? Do you pray watchfully through the gospel? And do you pray thankfully because of the gospel? That's Paul's encouragement to you and I about the manner of our prayer because we are to pray for and participate in the advancement of the gospel. Let's let the gospel season our prayers continually. The second thing we see uh, comes out of verse 3. Look back at verse 3 with me, and it's this. Our prayers should support the gospel labor of others. Look at verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. What Paul is saying is pray for us that God would open the door for the gospel to go forward. Open up opportunities for the gospel to advance. Pray that God opens the doors. That's God's role. God is the one who opens pathways for the gospel to go forward. God is the one who softens hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. God is the one who paves the way for the gospel to enter in and transform a life. That's not our job. Anybody relieved by that this morning? Like, we have zero responsibility to change somebody's heart. None. God opens the doors. But are you praying that he would open them? Are you praying, Lord, open the doors so that the gospel may go forward in our context, in our congregations? See, you and I can't do anything. There's no speech we can give. There's, there's no prayer we can pray. There's no act of service selfless enough to transform hearts. You find it amazing here? Like, Paul wrote Colossians when he was in prison. You guys have heard it's a prison epistle. Uh, he wrote it while he was in chains in Rome awaiting trial before Caesar. Now, Paul, in this prayer, he doesn't say, pray for me, that God would throw the doors of the prison open and that I could get out of Dodge. It's not his prayer. He doesn't pray that I would be released. Open the prison door. That's not his prayer. His prayer is open the gospel door. If there would have been a time for Paul to say, 
get me out, this would have been it. He doesn't say get me out. He says get the gospel in to the people that I'm around today. Open the door for the gospel. Think about this. The very reason that Paul was in chains in Rome was because the Jews had opposed the message of Christ. If there was ever a time for him to lay that message down, to soften his tone, to to instead defend himself instead of defending the gospel, this would have been it. This is the last stop. There ain't nobody hired in Caesar to judge the case. This would have been the time. But God opened the door so that Paul could boldly and faithfully step through it and preach the gospel. And that's exactly what he did, isn't it? You guys saw that last week in Acts chapter 28. What was it? Three days in. Three days in, Jews come. He summons them. It's not even they came on their own. He was like, nope, time to share the gospel. He summons them and he says, let me share the gospel with you. They were the reason he was in chains, and he doesn't stop. He says, God's got to open the door so that this generation of people that live right here have an opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Paul prayed, open a door for the gospel. Paul also said this, look at verse 4. So that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That's Paul's job. God's job is to open the door. God's job is to soften the heart. God's job is to pave the way. God's job is to open the opportunity. What's our job? It's Paul's job to say the gospel clearly. That's it. Speak with clarity and boldly. We have to say it. Paul has to say it. Have you ever been to a used car lot? Uh, this isn't, I don't think, a thing so much anymore. Um, but it used to be, uh, you could go to a car lot and the salesman, if he smells a sucker coming, uh, right, he just starts talking in car speak. This puppy's got the four-barrel carb, and it uh, has 320 horsepower at uh, uh, 4,200 RPMs, top dead center. It's got the V-twin engine. Like, am I buying a NATO jet or a sedan? Like, um, that's confusing speech. Like, I love it. Every time you go to buy a car, they open up the hood. Like, I got no idea what I'm looking at. And, and you probably don't either. But, oh, yeah, okay, it's got the plastic cover. Yeah, okay, yep. Uh, right? And it's confusing. And it, it's confusing speech coming from the guy. But we're not hawking used cars, are we? Paul's job is to declare the life-changing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That changes somebody's now and their forever. He says, speak it clearly, simply. See, the word he uses for clarity here, it goes beyond just making it mentally clear. The word he used uh, for clearly, um, it's actually like an appeal to the senses. 
says, let me make the gospel so clear, so easy to understand, so comprehensible that you can taste it and you can hear it and you can feel it, that it's true and necessary for life. You know, we get bogged down sometimes in thinking that uh, even if we're not saying it, we think like, okay, well, uh, uh, okay, God is a holy trinity. He's like jam, jelly, and preserves. They're like all from the grape. But like, and we, we get bogged down in Calvinism or Arminianism or, or theological treatises that have nothing to do with the gospel. All people need to hear is the gospel. Creator, sinner, savior. Clarity, simplicity. It doesn't have to be complex. Paul's saying, pray that I might proclaim it clearly. I had the joy of leading one of our neighbors to the Lord about three weeks ago. Um, eh, maybe a month, month and a half ago, something like that. Um, and I remember I invited him out to breakfast. I just walked him through Romans Road. Um, God had been priming him. God had opened up the door. All I'm doing is stepping through. So I, I walk him through Romans Road, and at the end I say, now, Eric, have you ever submitted your life to Jesus? And I'll tell you what, it's not because I have great speech, but because the gospel is clear in there. But he about leapt across the table at me, and he was like, no, I haven't, but I want to. How do I do it? God had primed Eric to hear the gospel. All I had to do was show up and say a couple of words that weren't even mine. They were scripture. Because the power of the message is in scripture. So I don't have to be eloquent. I don't have to be anything more than just goofy Brad who doesn't talk right. <laughs> and then Eric placed his faith in Christ. Because the gospel is presented clearly. Man, he came alive. Let me ask you, do you pray for Ben? Lord, open doors for Ben to be able to share the gospel in our community. The person next to you, do you pray for them? Lord, open a door that the gospel could go forward in their life and help them say it clearly. What about you? Do you pray for open doors? God, would you open a door? Because I'll tell you, if you're praying for it, you're going to have eyes on the lookout to see where is God opening the door. Are you praying for God? God, today, today, open a door for the gospel to go forward. Give me the chance to share it. And then God, help me to just say it clearly. Because the power's in the word, not in my words anyway. Let me just be clear. We see next that our conduct should display the gospel to the world. Look at verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. See, it's not enough just to pray about the gospel. You guys just finished the book of what? Say aloud. You guys finished the book of Acts, right? You guys finished the book. It's not the book of thoughts. Well, I thought nice things about Jesus. Oh, the apostles, they, they really prayed some good things about Jesus. They, right? It's not the book of thoughts. It's the book of Acts. It's not enough for the gospel to stop in our prayers. The gospel has to go forward in the way we live and in the way we speak. It has to be actionable. Otherwise, the gospel stops with us. We must participate in the advancement of this gospel. Walk in wisdom is what Paul says. 
the idea of walking in wisdom. You see, wisdom is knowledge applied. You know the truth of the gospel. Wisdom is now applying the truth of the gospel in your daily interactions with the people you engage with, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Are you applying? Are you walking in wisdom, making the best use of time? What Paul is saying here is let your manner of life be an active outpouring of biblical truth toward those who are not yet saved. Each one of us is called to live in our community context in a manner that reflects Jesus Christ to them. You live in your neighborhood for a purpose. And it's not just to pay the heating bill of the neighborhood. You live in your context because God placed you there. He made that home available there so that you would surround yourselves with lost people on every side. Guarantee there's one of them. One of your neighbors doesn't know Jesus. Are you praying for them? Are you serving them? Are you walking in wisdom in your interactions with them so that the gospel can go forward, so that you can look for that door? God, give me an open door with Roger today, with Tanya today. Then are you looking for it? Man, Tanya, we live in a broken world, don't we? You see all the messaging that goes around. It's broken. That's all you got to start with. Nobody out there says, no, no, the world's in pretty good shape right now. Nobody says it, right? But are you making the best use of your interactions? Are you assessing the people around you? Do they know Jesus or are they still living in lostness, disconnected from him? Be wise in your context. Be wise in your workplace. Be wise in the grocery store. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside the family of God. How can I use this interaction to make the gospel go forward and not stop with me? The last thing we see is that our speech should clearly expose the gospel of grace to others. Look at 4 verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, our speech should reflect the grace that we've received in Jesus. We are benefactors of a great grace. Our speech should reflect that very same grace. See, Paul is asking us to consider what fills our speech. What fills our speech? Because our speech has the capacity to unite people or divide them. Our speech can build bridges or tear them down. It's a powerful weapon, and we wield it very often pretty carelessly. But is your speech seasoned with the grace of the gospel as you go forward in your interactions with others around you? See, if our speech is different than the world's, if our speech is a light in the darkness, if it comforts people in the midst of pain and in helplessness, then we have an avenue for the gospel to go forward with gracious speech. Seasoned with salt is the next thing Paul says there in verse 6. Seasoned with salt just means pleasant. That's all it means, just pleasant. That people actually want to hear what you have to say. Uh, a few months ago, I was reminded that uh, I was told a story um, about a pastor in a chaplaincy. Um, and he, uh, he got the role of chaplain at this organization. And <clears throat> um, the person telling me the story had overseen the chaplains in this place for a while. And, um, he said, uh, 
uh, he, this, this pastor wasn't engaging people. Like, he would come back, well, I just really haven't engaged. Nope, I haven't really talked with anybody. And, and so uh, the person telling me the story said he looked at the cameras one day, um, and this pastor would show up, tuck his Bible under his arm right here, and prowl the hallways of this place. And he watched on camera people would see this guy coming and duck into the bathrooms. And then when he passed by, they would peer back out and come back out and start congregating and talking again. He had so abused people with his speech that they wanted nothing to do with him. Like they knew this guy's coming, I'm just going to get lectured about something. Just try being a friend. People don't need an evangelist, they don't need a pastor, they need a friend. And if you're their friend, then, then at some point, maybe you can be an evangelist to them. Is your speech seasoned with grace, or are you driving people into the bathrooms away? <laughs> and the source of our gracious speech is the gospel. You see, we deserve the cross, and yet God gave us Christ. And it was a sweet gift of grace that we never deserved. So I leave you with this again. We've got one job. One job. To pray for and participate in the advancement of the gospel. That's it. Does the gospel stop with you today? Or does it go forward in your community? Who do you know today that is spiritually disconnected from Jesus? Talk to somebody. Hey, pray for me. I'm going to go talk to Paul tomorrow. Pray for me. I'm going to go talk to Tiffany. I'll share with you guys. Um, we're going to baptize Eric Sunday, November 6th. You guys are going to have a membership meeting. We get to baptize Eric. Um, I'm excited about that. Would you pray for his daughters, Sarah and Lisa? They're going to come watch him get baptized. And I want to be able to share the gospel with them. That's the perfect moment to do it. Would you pray for Steve and Candy? There are neighbors two doors down on the left. They don't know Jesus, but we've started to build a relationship with them. And would you pray that God opens that door? We're on the lookout for it, that we can share the gospel with them too. And would you pray that God would give us clarity? And would you pray that he'd do the same for you with those in your life who are spiritually disconnected from Jesus? That's our one job. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the gift of grace that we've received. God, we are all benefactors in this room who have placed our faith in Christ. We are benefactors of a grace we never deserved. God, let the grace of the gospel season our prayers. Let the grace of the gospel season our actions, Lord, that as we act in wisdom and walk in wisdom towards those around us, Lord, we've got one life to live, and I pray that you would give each person in here a boldness to live with gospel intent and with gospel clarity. The gospel wouldn't stop in this room, but it would go forward. And people who may be timid, who may be afraid, step out in courage and faith to know that God you're the one who transforms the heart anyway let us be people that are actionable with the gospel I pray these things in Jesus name